Right, there we go. We're recording. So, we'll start off by welcoming my friend Patrick Kenny. Patrick is the author of two successful books, Patrick. One I think you updated was um, Negotiating and the second, Perpetual Hunger. And yeah, the, the first book was Unlocking Yes. Unlocking Yes, yeah. Would you believe I actually handed my copies out this morning and then left them and in my old office. But anyway, so unlocking yes and getting getting to yes. Um, I was actually looking at a clip that I use in my training today from uh, Glen Gary Glen Ross, mm-hmm. where he goes A B C always be closing. So always get always get to yes. So. Patrick, your background was uh, advertising sales for large yeah, in the new- publications? Yeah, in the newspaper industry uh, primarily um, and for just under 30 years. Right, yeah. So that's where you cut your teeth? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, I, um, I studied um, retail advertising uh, in college and then I studied production, and then I studied sales management, three different uh, sets of programs. And um, to me, those pieces all work together um, to differentiate what I was doing um, versus my colleagues. They were all studying marketing. I wanted to understand how all of the machinery worked. What, yeah. And that's, that, that, that's what made the difference. So you know, I, I, like to, I like to say to people, if, you, if you're going to be successful in any sales vertical, um, you want to become a specialized generalist. In other words, pick one area where you're, you, you proof up very, very well. And you're almost, uh, you're almost like a giraffe in a sea of zebras. And that will yeah. help you in Advertising sales isn't the easiest of industries to work in. Oh, oh that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. You know, at the beginning of my career, you always start at the bottom, uh, and I and I certainly started right at the bottom. And um, you don't always know what you're doing. You just know that you gotta make it happen. And, you know, um, I, I think one of the things that's been always been very important to me was that I delivered the best product I could deliver to my customers um, so that I, I, I didn't ever have to, uh, you know, rethink any of my positions as I went out and sold. And I, and I think that's really important because it's, it's all about the consistency in building bridges. And I, as I, as I say to my, uh, uh, to, you know, people that I work with trying to help them learn how to sell and negotiate, if you haven't got a bridge to your customer, you better enjoy swimming. Yeah. Well, I like that. I like that thing. So how did you build a bridge when you were selling advertising Patrick? You know, for me, uh, it, it's this is really really strange, and my colleagues used to kind of laugh at me um, about this approach. But 
it's the way that I've lived my life. And, uh, and I believe that if you engage customers long enough, they'll end up being your friends. And so I always start off by saying friends first, business second. And you'd be amazed at how people relax when they realize that their friendship means a lot to you. It means yeah, that you won't, sell them, it means you won't sell them the wrong product. Yeah, and I can see that in my, my own case of, I can think of the three key accounts and the MD in all cases. One of them, I've been to all his children's weddings. I've been to their wedding anniversary. Uh, we talk regularly on the phone, and we talk from the perspective of friends, not as a client relationship. You know, that's, uh, and I can see that with, you know, with a number of clients is where I'm successful, I've built that relationship. And obviously, that's what you did when you were selling advertising fabric. Yeah, uh, because if you don't, um, then uh, there's, there's no reason for them to stay with you. I mean, if, you know, I've, I've often said if you sell one of anything to a customer, you've actually eaten up a lot of time. Because you have to go through all of the steps, all of the process to land that account, open it up, make sure it's successful. But if it's one and done, you've eaten up a lot of resources. It better be a big sale. Uh, you know, yeah. a big sale to me is like you sell somebody a yacht. All right, so you might not sell them too many yachts. <laughs> but, you know, when you're dealing, um, when, when you're doing uh, business with, uh, with companies, you, you want them to think of you early in, in, any, um, uh, in any ideas that they're having that they want to bring to market. And that's when you get those, those little quiet conversations where they say, Collie, would you come in and sit down and have a cup of tea with us? Yeah. We've got an idea here, but we're not really sure about it. And, and we'd like to get your feedback. You know, when people say to you, what do you think? Yeah. You do that? Yeah. It's really important. See, that's where you get into that state of collaboration. And when you're in a state of collaboration, then all of the walls fall down. You're, you're equals. There's no, there's, no, there's no big boardroom table in front of you. You're sitting, you know, almost on an angle. You could be sitting at a round table. That's when you know yeah, you're there. Yeah, and all this about, and I'm sure you see it all over the internet, relationship selling is, is dead. You know, Relationship selling has never gone away. It's all about relationships. The core word, you know, my thought is, and I'd like to hear your reflection on, I believe that trust starts with the relationship between the salesperson and the prospect. Totally. You know, I, I was really blessed. Um, there was a company called Lansing Build-All uh, in Oakville when I was, uh, when I first uh, started out selling after I, I started in, in Edmonton, Alberta, then I came back to Ontario and, and I, and I worked with uh, a number of great companies locally. And there was one gentleman there, his name was Howard Kitchen. And he sat me down, Collie, 
as, as he would one of his employees or one of his relatives, because it was a family-run business. And he would say, Pat, this is how we do things at Lancet. And I went, wow, is that ever nice? Rather than being that stone-faced person on the other mm -hmm. side of the, uh, of the table. No, he, he come in with his palms up and he said, welcome. Here's how we do business. I can't think of a greater gift. It's almost like yeah. I had a, a customer who was a mentor. Mm. Yeah, for is that for some people on the opposite side are hard work and they more or less say sell to me, and they go hold on, I can't sell to you. No, it, it, it's it, it's no different than you can't make people like you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you either have a charismatic. Uh, and first, yeah, charismatic feeling that, and I think to for people to like you, you've got to like people. Yeah, it starts with me. Have you ever seen people in sales that you know don't like what they're doing? Yeah, it it shows. It's it's, it's like it's like they're it's like they're wearing a suit that's been cut all wrong. <laughs> you know, they walk in. <laughs> And they yeah. just, they, they, look, they look so uncomfortable, you know? I have a, an inter couple of interesting analogies is, um, one of the things is the people here, Irish people who you probably know, are quite chatty people. They love to <laughs> chat, we love to tell stories, and we love to do that. Where English people are, they're much more direct, and I had had an occasion working with a call center who had just won the contract for um, one of these, you know, TV shops. TV, uh, for, you know, for you uh, advertising on, you know, the TV catalog stores. Yeah. I can't think what yeah. they're. Shopping channels. The shopping, yeah. yeah, shopping channels. So the interesting yeah. thing, and they were actually selling travel. It was a travel channel, a shopping that sold travel. And the interesting thing was I discovered when I started to train people and they had a call center in the UK and they had a call center here in Belfast. And what happened was I discovered is the Belfast people talked too much and the UK people didn't talk enough. They just wanted to go bang directly into the sale. Whereas the Belfast people, they chatted about everything, but they chatted too much. You know, and there was that fine balance between getting to the point, but don't get to the point too quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and it's really interesting. This is where culture plays very large. Um, yeah. And I think if you understand the culture of the, um, the areas where the client um, wants to... Uh, wants to receive a message, they want to receive it in a certain way. And you're right. Uh, sometimes if, you know, if, if, if perhaps as a Canadian, I was too direct with uh, somebody from Ireland, they'd say, calm down, Mr. Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to know each other a bit. <laughs> and, and I think that's great because, um, if you don't sell into somebody's culture, then 
I don't know. It's, it, it seems to me like you're almost kind of uh, discounting them. And, and I, I don't think that's right. Yeah. And that, you know, and, and one of the things was uh, I, ran, I run this one day workshop and I've been doing it for local government agencies. And it's for people who have never been in sales and mainly startups. And I call it selling is simple. You know, and what I actually said, selling is only a conversation with a purpose. Oh, yeah. That's, 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 be that's beautiful, Colleen. Yeah. It's like, you, it, yeah. It, it's, like, it's like the term cold calling. It, cold yeah. calling to me is, is probably the worst name, the worst label that we could have put on that engagement. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you had Art uh, Sobzak on recently. Yeah. And, and he, he's written the most beautiful book on, uh, you know, called uh, Smart Calling. And I think it's wonderful. And, and I, um, I did a video a little while ago and I just said, you know, don't refer to cold calling as cold calling. Refer to it as new conversations with new friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that whole thing about, you know, how do you warm up uh, the cold call? And you may saw that short video that, that I did about start using snail mail again. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, that's how I, I get new prospects is because everybody uh, hides behind, I, and I have this conversation with Art, you probably heard, people hide behind emails. Oh, he won't answer my emails. And I go, you know why he won't answer them? Because he isn't even reading them. Yeah, you know, email has been great on the one hand, but on the other hand, you're absolutely correct. It's like um, uh, it, it's it's like it's become a firewall. It, in some complicated negotiations, you will have the negotiator for the sell team, the negotiator for the buy team, but the decision makers can often be behind a firewall. Yeah. And, you know, uh, those, uh, those types of, of negotiations are always very difficult to gauge because they can pivot so quickly. Exactly. You know, that's my, um, and the whole thing is, which I have started to do, one of the things is I've got to the stage that I, I'm a lot more choosy who I link to in LinkedIn. But then I link to somebody and the next day I get a message on LinkedIn and they want to sell me SEO, they want to build an app for me, they want to build a website, they want to get me involved in cryptocurrency. So I've, I've started being a bit, um, what's the word, a bit cold about it because I send them back and say, you don't know me well enough to start, you know, they're right in on the pitch. Uh, so I actually start blocking these people because one of them, I sent me three or four LinkedIn messages within three or four days because I had, why aren't you replying to my last message? And my answer, it might be because I'm not interested in what you're talking about. You know, find, find yeah. out the interest. You know, there, there's this assumption, you know, that we're all going to sell everybody something. Yeah, well, that may that may not be the case, you know, especially if it's um, 
if it's a long close process. I mean, that's the world I lived in. Um, there were times when a sale or a negotiation, even a negotiation, I've been in some negotiations that have gone like four months. Mm. Yeah. And that, you know, and they can go longer than that, believe it or not. Um, and conversions for me, I, I remember the longest conversion I ever worked on was over a year. Yeah. No, so, I, I, I worked, yeah, I worked with the company. I've told you where the uh, MD is, is one of my best friends. Their wholesale process can take up to 18 months, two years from, from first talking to the client. And there's multiple decision makers built within it. They're, they're actually, the, um, they're selling to the construction industry, you know, as a, as a sub supplier to the construction industry. And the whole thing is that they've got to build all those relationships and it's got to take time. Yes. Yes. And you know, even internally within companies. Um, so I've got a, a book that I've just finished called the bonus round and it's all about corporate sales and it's about selling very large uh, contracts. And, one of the things that you learn in large corporations is that it's not just selling to the customer. It's also selling right across your organization so that everybody knows your, uh, the value that you bring to the table. They understand how you embrace risk and they understand how you de-risk their participation with you in larger programs that you might want to try to bring to the market. And that's yeah. where it all happens. That's where it all happens. Like I, I would go out and hang out with the guys in the credit department <laughs> because, course, you know, yeah. yeah, because, you know, if, if you get it right with the guys in the credit department, they'll cut you a little bit more slack and they'll uh, call and, you. Yeah. Like they'll you, yeah. call you and say, Pat, you're, you're, you're an, your account needs to be freshened. You need to refresh that account. We need some money. That's, that's much better than them calling the client and saying, you know, like I want a quarter million bucks this afternoon. Yeah, you know I'm, where that you know, Yeah, exactly. Now, interestingly, I, um, another, another of my clients, they sell, sell a nap for field engineers, field workers, um, and one of the things they were having, the people they spoke to, they love the app, but it's not closing. Mm. And I said, yeah, you've got to talk to the guy who's going to sign the check. You know, yeah. and, and, and the whole, you know, and then the other thing is that the guy who signs the check, he doesn't want to know that uh, it's about saving paperwork. It's about saving time. And I did an interesting one was one of the things is that this particular app, what happens with a service engineer, he goes out to service your refrigeration. He does the job. He logs the call, gives his paperwork back to the office, and they invite the client for the time spent servicing. And I discovered in one company that 5% of their invoices go missing because the paperwork gets lost. And yeah. this actually has a foolproof way. And I goes, 
what you've got to work out is what is it costing the company? What's the average invoice? The average in invoice was £80 sterling. 5%. Uh, How many have you? Oh, we've got about 100 a week. So, okay. So this is costing you £400 a week. And we are asking you to invest £200 a month. And then you just keep quiet. And that's but it's getting the salespeople to say that lost paperwork doesn't mean anything. What's lost paperwork costing you? And that's for the relationship. As you say, talk to the finance, talk to the service people. Who's going to be using your product? That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I really believe in building relationships right across uh, the organization yeah. that, that I work with. Um, and, and I would walk into areas, like I'd walk into production areas and start talking to the guys who nobody generally speak to. And, you know, sometimes I got my, myself <laughs> thrown out of an office, but, you know, sometimes I didn't. You know, sometimes they'd say, why is the sales guy coming down here to talk to me? Yeah. Because nobody talks to them. And, you know, we'd sit and we'd have a, a really good chat about, you know, opportunities. And part of it, by the way, the feedback coming the other way is, could you do the following so that we're more efficiency, uh, we gain more efficiencies in production? Could you help us in this way? Yeah. All of a sudden, you got a conversation going. And all of a sudden, it's like when, you know, it's like when Collie comes down to the production area, Collie, how have you been? How's your family? It's not, oh, look at him. <laughs> Watch the guy with the suit. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's uh, you know, the uh, and, and interesting you could see that was I just started watching that uh, suits, which mm. is the you know the community, you know, I only and I started watching that. I, I've got a bit, I've actually got a bit addicted to it. Um but the interesting thing is Harvey who is this great closer. But the main concern in the company is Harvey's got no compassion. Yeah. Yeah, and that, you know, he doesn't have any compassion. It's win at all costs. Yeah. Yeah, compassion is really big, you know. Um, because you, when you think about buyers, you, you always think that buyers are in great shape all the time, right? Yeah. But as companies have flattened over the last two decades, some of those buying positions are pretty tough. You know, yeah. so they, you know, when you go in and you sit with these people, they're not always having a great time, you know, they, and, and, you know, they want to be appreciated as well. Yeah. And one of my greatest lessons, uh, my last company, I, we, we lost our senior buyer. So I actually spent two months in the buying department. I was still, I was still director in the company, but I said, right, I'm going to go into the buying department. And boy, I learned more about business in the buying department of people selling to me. Uh, and we were a company, we, we, uh, we stopped about oh, five, 6,000 products. We sold to the hospitality industry. Um, we stocked things from ovens at, uh, ovens of 30,000 pounds sterling, 
to toilet rolls at 20 pounds a time. Mm. But you had to make sure that stock was available and you had to balance mm. that against the budget. And boy, I learned more about sales working from the buying department. Yeah, it, um, and um, I, I went through something not quite as complicated, but um, I was having to buy printing for my company, who was a printing company. <laughs> and so I had to work with people who were selling to me. And what I, what I tried to bring to the table was the maximum amount of, of efficiency that I could generate in a meeting and I tried to give them the end-to-end -end idea so that they were part of the whole picture as opposed to just you know give me some stuff because when yeah. you get people when you get people um, engaged in the larger vision they get excited yeah because they, you know they feel part of a team and that's very often that we're not individuals, we're all one. That's right. Yeah, it's like Anthony Iannarino says, you know, yeah. selling is a team sport. Exactly, yeah. And because, you know, when you look at it, one of the things was, uh, I'm, I'm actually working on it for a new webinar I'm putting together, and it's taken me, because I, I'm a bit of a, I have to stop being a perfectionist. I'll, I'll, it'll be right when I get this last right word, but it's, the title of it is The Mindset in Selling, The Importance of Mindset in the Salesperson. Um, I started thinking of the top salespeople I had, and it was the old 20-80 rule, that 20% 20 of the salespeople did 80% of the sales. Right. And I actually looked at, at a sales team of 15 people. So three guys in the team made 80% of the sales. So I started to look, why did those, what, what was the difference that these guys brought to the table? Number one, they had mostly the same size territory. They had the same type of customer base and they're selling the same product at the same price. Yet one guy sells out four to one, another female member, she does three to one at the bottom. And the other guy, he, he does double the sales at the bottom. And I goes, what difference do these people have against the other people? Is it their pitch? Is it their presentation? Is it what skills do they have? And it all came back. It was their mindset, Patrick. They believed they could do it. Yeah. It isn't, that, isn't, isn't that cool? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Um, I can remember as a, uh, when I first started to notice that myself, uh, in me, um, I remember walking into the YMCA, um, in Oakville and they used to produce a, a guide for every season on what programs they were going to be running for, you know, for, for parents and children and athletics and on and on. And, uh, I walked in and I said, um, can I quote on your catalog? And they said, sure. Now I'd never done that before, but I, I trusted my people. And so I, I went back and I talked to everybody and I said, you know, would you help me? And they all said, 
yeah, because we've never done this before either. <laughs> and, and we pulled it off. Like I, I, I got people involved in the photography. I did some of the photography. Um, it was really fun. And you know what? It went, it went beautifully. That set me up for uh, the opening of a shopping center in Calgary. And I was the number two product. I was a tabloid. And um, uh, the Calgary Sun, the tabloid, um, didn't have coordinators for the salespeople. So in other words, you did all the work yourself. So I'm taking on the number one newspaper in the marketplace. I'm by myself. And over the course of a few weeks, I turn out a 44-page section. Right. A 44-page section by myself. It was incredible. I, I made so much money that month. It was enough money to buy a car. My goodness, yeah. Yeah, but it's believing. See, if, 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 you, if you don't have that confidence, then you can't do bigger things. And, and this is how I got into um, launching products for the company. Um, the, the last three uh, companies that I worked for that were you know, just kept getting purchased by another company. And, and the, the company just kept getting bigger. So in the end, I was representing over 125 newspapers. But when you launch a product in that kind of an environment, it's like, wow. It's, it's so cool because there's so many moving parts and there's so many people that you have to trust. And there's so many people that you have to say, come along for the ride. Yeah. We're going to have some fun here. It's, you know, and it's positive risk. And it's, it's the same as when you take it to the client or when you take it to the sales floor. So I would, I would prepare all of the, um, uh, the marketing tools for the sales team and then walk in and, and, you know, basically pitch it to the team. You know, when you're pitching to a sales team and they're looking at you going, do you think we can do this? Mm. Yeah, I think we can. And then all of a sudden, boom, away she goes. You know, the last product I launched uh, in, I think it was in 2007, 206, 207, it doesn't really matter. Um, we did a million dollars unbudgeted in the first two quarters of that launch with a really hefty uh, profit margin. Right, yeah. Like a million dollars unbudgeted. That's pretty so sweet. With, with that type of thing, what type of objections were you getting about? Was it mainly around the finance and, or was it return on investment or was it value? Do you know what it was? Um, you talked about being a little bit of a perfectionist. Um, I don't, I don't always see it that way. I kind of look at it from the point of view of the customer that if I take a product to market, it's going to work because we've done all the back testing and I would back test and back test and back test to the point where, you know, I would just say to myself, you know what? I can't find any more negativity in this. So if you can't find any more negativity in it, and if somebody says, you know, we want you to bring it to, uh, to, to the uh, market now, then you're ready to go. But until you've worked through all of that in your mind, don't do it. Don't, don't take it to market because you're not ready. Yeah. You know when you're ready. I wouldn't ever launch a product until I was at peace with it. 
That's really and important. Your, the old story is, would you sell this product to your granny? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's along it's the same lines. And I, 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 I put a, a really important message into the new book. And it's really along the lines of don't sell stuff to people. Because if you sell stuff to people, you may end up selling the wrong product to the wrong person and they won't forget it. Yeah. And that comes back to adding value. How are you adding value? Sure. Because, you know, you, you walk in and you say, listen, we're doing this right now, but I don't think it's a good fit for you. Yeah. Um, we've got something coming up, which I think will be a better fit for you. And that's, you know, to me, that's the whole show up um, idea in selling. That's where you show integrity. It's not jamming stuff down people's, you know, throat. I mean, to me, that's not, you know, people want to buy. They want to enjoy the buying experience. You know, it's like when you go and you buy a, a nice new suit or you're buying a new car or whatever it is that you're doing. You want to enjoy the experience. I mean, yeah. that's, that's so much of the fun of it. And that's, to me, that's the fun of selling. You know, it's, um, I, I like to watch, you know, when, when people are selling me um, larger ticket items, I, I, like to, I like to enjoy how it is that they're communicating with me to get me in that area where I start to feel very comfortable. And I'm always intrigued at how they do it. Yeah, and you know, are they helping me or can, when you look into their eyes, do they just want to make the sale at any price? Yeah. And the other thing is, are they having fun? Yeah. There's a, there's a tailor that I, um, um, that I use um, in Peterborough. What a lovely gentleman. I, and I walk in the store and it's like, oh, Pat, how have you been? You know, haven't seen you for ages. And, and the conversation isn't about buying suits, ties, whatever. It's about what, what's going to make you happy today. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And you know, it, it's, it, I tell you, another interesting thing is this whole area of customer service, to me, is, is kind of an un, un, unusual animal. Because... I think if customer service understood more clearly that solving problems is more about mitigating risk. And the higher the risk, the faster the response should be. It's like yeah. when something goes, it's like when something goes wrong in business calling and it's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. It's how quickly can you get back to the customer? with a very clear explanation of what went wrong and how you're going to make it right. Yeah, and that's... Don't, don't stall for a week. It's like 24 hours, the latest 48 hours. 48 hours to me is too long. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I'm hope, I, I'm gonna say hopefully, I will be starting with a new client tomorrow and it's a lady in a startup business and her her cry but well, she had two cries but and she was actually uh somebody recommended me to to her and 
Our first cry is, I need to, I need to sell, but I can't sell, and I'm too busy doing the admin work to sell. So yeah. I tell her, so I tell her the story of that I had, I was in the finance, financial services business, and one afternoon I said to one of my friends, I'm. I'm going home to mow the lawn. And he said, why don't you pay someone to mow the lawn? And I said, why would I pay someone to mow the lawn when I can do it myself and save the money? And he says, how much would it cost someone to mow the lawn? So back in the 80s, probably pay, you pay a kid five pounds to, uh, to mow the lawn. I said, probably five pounds somebody would mow the lawn. And he said, if you were to sell a pension plan to somebody this afternoon, how much commission would you make? Mm, yeah, if I sold a decent pension plan, I'd probably make minimum of a hundred pounds. So he said, so it costs ninety-five pounds to mow your lawn colour. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah, that's a great story, Colin. Um, yeah. And you know, it, it is the truth. It is the truth. And you know, I think the great sellers are the ones that understand uh, time management very well. Uh, yeah. They also understand, you know, making that one extra call, even when you're exhausted, just make that one extra call because the one mm -hmm. extra call times a year is a lot of extra calls. And that actually could be your bonus. Yeah. It's the one extra one call. One of the things I I I, uh, I used to say was it wasn't the Colombo close, but it was the Colombo sale, and I called it I I called it for the salespeople. It was called the big sale, and the reason it was called it was called BIG. And what you did, and as I told you, we sold over five thousand, six thousand products, and you could always. Uh, one of the things I said to people, you've got to look at three things when you go is what special offers have we got on this month? What are they now buying? And what are they not buying from us? They should be buying. So you have those, those were three objectives on every sale. Mm. But then I had was, and I said, and then finally you had what I called the big sale. And the big sale was B-I-G. And it was, oh, by the way, before I go up to BIG, before I go, I forgot to mention blah, 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 which I think my, can I, can I talk to you a little about that, about this but just before I go? And they were relaxed, the, the, the tension had gone, and you obviously just added that extra three or 4% to every sale. You know, increase the value of the sale, you know, to do it. But one of the things is, what's your thoughts on, oh, we've got sales 101 and we have 101.1.2. How much do you think selling has, and I asked Art the same question, how much do you think selling has actually changed over the years since, since you and I started in selling many years ago? Yeah, you, you know, it comes down to this. Um, when we started, 
we were in a, uh, what was known as a seller's market. In other words, there was too many buyers and not enough sellers. Now we're in a buyer's market where there's too many sellers and not enough buyers. Yeah. So there's, there's less face time to go around for salespeople. Unless, unless you develop a reputation for being somebody who shows up and doesn't waste everybody's time. I can remember one time um, doing a presentation uh, um, at Walmart Canada. And uh, I had a senior executive with me. And he just sat there and watched how I managed that meeting. And as we walked out the door, he looked at me and he said, Pat, he said, this is all you should do for the rest of your life. That's how good that call was. And I just kind of looked at him and I said, come on. <laughs> you know, I got a lot of things I want to do. Um, but, the, but the thing is, is that if we don't get as much face time with customers, then we have to really, really, really think about how we're going to execute that call. In other words, it's like a mini play. And you, uh, what, I, what I try to, to think about is ranking the questions that I'm going to ask in a meeting by dollar value. And there's always three questions that you have to get answered in a meeting because you might not get that meeting again for another while. It could be just emails or it could be, you know, however the, 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 that you communicate. And um, if you understand that, the other side does too, because you're qualifying earlier, you're asking questions a little more elegantly than before, you're being more thoughtful, you pause, you listen to their answers. If you get them on a roll, be quiet, because they may actually say something that they may not repeat again. Mm, exactly. And the, the last thing I would say, Collie, uh, is that when I started in sales, it was just selling. Mm. I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way anymore at all. I see selling as a craft. It's a panoramic view. Sales prospecting, consultative selling, sales negotiation. They're all bolted together. And they should all be addressed with the same amount of finesse. So that leads us to your third book. So you went from unlocking yes, which was negotiating, yep. perpetual hunger, uh, and the you one is called Patrick. The, your third book. It's it's called the bonus round, and that the whole idea behind the book is to help uh, mid-range sellers prepare themselves to move up. Because the difference between mid-range sellers and the high end is pressure. It's pressure. It's performance. Yeah. It, it, it's consistency. And so what, I, what I've done in the book, and I, I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm more interested in talking to you about sales. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but what I will say is that I cover a lot of topics that most other people in in selling, um, probably aren't going to touch. It's a little Not bit me. like it's it's a little bit um, uh, like our friend uh, Jim. 
uh, Jim Irving, in, in his book, he's, he's covered some really um, interesting topics that the only way that you can discuss those situations is because you've lived it. Yeah. He's not quoting a bunch of other people in his book. He's talking about his world. And this is, this is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do with, uh, with the bonus round. And, and I hope by showing the business cases where we didn't get it right, or we had to go back and tear everything apart and start all over again, where we had huge problems. And how do you turn a huge problem into an advantage? And I show it in the book. And you see, this is what, this is what levels you up because now selling is not just selling. It's delivering finished products in a business case format to a customer, internally and externally. Yeah, and that, you know, you've just reminded me of a, of a situation going back, gosh, many years. And I'd say we're selling to the hospitality industry. And it was a launch of a new product um, for washrooms. And we were actually on a, as a salesperson, I was in a bonus for uh, getting this. It was a soap dispenser, and it was the, the forerunner of just uh, uh, Lever had just launched this soap dispenser, which the soap was contained within the soap dispenser because it actually saved us no waste and bacteria. They, it was very efficient. And we're, I'm on a bonus for every dispenser I can place in a washroom. So I arrived with this uh, hospitality facility. Or it was actually, it was a large pub complex and the owner and the staff were all having breakfast. They asked me to join them to have breakfast and have breakfast with them. I have that. I talk to them about the product. And I go through that. He hasn't made a decision, but he likes the product, but he hasn't made a decision. But he leaves. And he doesn't leave the building. He goes to another part of the building. So I wait and he doesn't come back. And five minutes pass, 10 minutes pass, 15 minutes pass, 20 minutes pass. And he doesn't, uh, he doesn't come back. So I, I go and look for him. So I, I find him in another part of the building. And I said, oh, I just wanted to conclude what we're talking about. And he goes, you're becoming bloody annoying. Get out of my premises. And he throws me out. And I thought, gosh. And obviously I leave and I'm angry and I've got a bit of resentment. And then I thought, in the afternoon, I thought, I better phone his office and apologize. So I phoned the office, and the guy who runs the, his admin, his office, I know because he pays the bills. And I said, uh, "Listen, I got a, I got a call. I got to apologize for being annoying this morning." Oh, he said, "Is that Collie?" He said, "Collie, I got a message here from the boss. He says he's sorry the way he spoke to you this morning." And he said, "By the way." Every washroom will need four or five of those uh, soap dispensers. Can you arrange that? There you go. Yeah, and I've seen that. And I've seen that. Uh, one of the things we used to do complete set outs in pubs. And I saw a guy who 
I was on an exhibition stand and I said to him, listen, let, let me show you this new product. And he goes, my feet's so sore walking this. All I want to do is go for a beer, Collie. I don't want to hear any pitches today. And he apologized to me later and he says, we've just opened a new pub. Go and tell the manager I'd sent him. And I came out with an order for 28,000 pounds. Wow. Which, which would have, which would, at that particular time, that was probably a month salesperson's target on the road back then. You know, yeah. salespeople expect to sell a thousand pounds a day. I got it in one sale. And that was because the, the third story comes to my mind is I was doing the sales presentation to, to women in business. And there was a lady there and she sold for the Chamber of Commerce. And she said, I've got this, I've got this client that I'm trying to close and I've been working with him for four years and he won't make a decision to join the Chamber of Commerce. And I says, you've been talking to him four years. How often do you call him? She says, I call him two or three times a month. Oh my Lord. And I, and I goes, and I long your conversation, probably about uh, five minutes. And I says, okay, call him twice a month. That's 10 minutes a month. Uh, that's two hours over a year. And you've been doing it for four years. Yeah. So that's a complete day. I said, how many other people could you have ca called? Yeah. Well, what do you do when you keep getting no? I said, when you keep getting no, talk to somebody else. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's a really interesting point because, you know, some people would say, um, no, I'm going to stay with that client until they say yes. Yeah. And I kind of I kind of look at it the other way. I'm, you know, when when I was um, uh, selling in the corporate world, I was always looking for active money. You know, you got to watch out how people dip into your pockets, you know, because, you know, I was talking with um, um a uh, gentleman whose name is uh, uh, John Basong about this very topic. And the thing is, in today's market, time is your, that's your money. And mm -hmm. I said, I said to him, I said, would you go out in the backyard and burn a bunch of money? And he said, no. I said, well, why would you do that with your time with a customer who's never going to buy? Exactly, yeah. You know, because you, you, we, we've got to, it, this is one of the big changes right now, I think in the marketplace is that we have to qualify earlier. Mm. We have to qualify earlier because if we have too many people selling into the same vertical and the buyer is just sort of looking at a bunch of sellers selling and He's already got somebody that he really likes, but he wants to listen to everybody else so that he can put more pressure on the one that he really likes. Exactly, yeah. The, uh, and, and, you, and you end up wasting time. I, I, I can't do it. I mean, you know, I know you're generous with your time. I'm pretty generous with my time. At the same time, we all have to eat. We all have to pay bills. Yeah. Um, one, of the, uh, one of my most successful salespeople uh, and when I first, uh, I was actually on the road, training them on the road. And I was saying this to Jim the other day, you know, people today talk about sales coaching if it's only been invented yesterday. But you and I were doing sales coaching. We called it uh, 
curbside learning or pavement, you know, four four legged four legged calls. Yeah. I, I, oh, I used I you know there's a lot of salespeople who are you know pretty independent. In other words, they just like to go out and it's like leave me alone. You know, I'll I'll deliver the goods. I'll make my quota. I didn't look at it that way. Anytime I could grab my boss, I would drag him out and I'd say, all right, so, so here's what we're going to do in the meeting. I need you here in case I run out of the right kinds of questions. Here's what I want you to jump in with. Or if the client shifted over to him or shifted over to me, the other person became the note taker. Exactly. Well, this, this guy, interesting enough, whose name was Jim Patrick, and he was my top salesperson. Now, I'm on the road. He's only with the company in his first month. So I'm introducing him to customers, and I'm training him on, on the road at the same time. And then I hear him say this to a prospective customer. And he actually, he frightened me when he said it. And what he said to the customer was something like this. He said, look, I don't want to waste your time. And I'm sure you don't want to waste mine. But tell me, are you serious about doing something about this? And then he just shut up. And I left and I goes, and I, I'm standing there and I goes, you can't talk to people like that. We're going to be thrown out in the rear. The guy goes, oh, I am serious. Tell me what I need to do. And when I listened to Jim Moore do this, it wasn't so much the words, it was the way he did it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. know, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Correct. You know, um, there are times I've had to go in to see clients and they were behind. They were in arrears. And I'd, I'd just go in and I'd say, you know, this is how big the check has got to be. Yeah. And sometimes there was some real bluster that came with that. But when you're in big sales, a sale is not a sale until you get paid. Of course, yeah. You know, and, and I, I, you know, you think about um, companies that just keep cranking stuff out. And it's like you were talking about earlier, you know. Um, five five percent um, shrinkage based on lost paperwork. That's mm. insanity. I um, you know it, it's like companies that buy business too. That's to me that's more insanity. You know you 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 have to go into you know to a sale believing that you're going to be profitable. There are there are odd circumstances where you where you will do what I refer to as a strategic negotiation, which is basically where you're buying the business. But they're so rare, they're so rare that you have to go in believing that you're going to be profitable. Otherwise, what are you doing? Exactly. Yeah. So Patrick, we've gosh, we've <laughs> this felt like like 15 minutes, but we've been we've been talking an hour and four minutes. So, you know what, Kali, I just got to tell you, you know, you, you and I have known each other for a while and I, this has been one of the most enjoyable conversations that I've had in some time. So when, when do you hope to have the new book 
to in the market? Robert? Oh, it, it's going to the uh, formatter next week. Um, then it gets turned into an ebook. Uh, then we pull uh, press proofs. And so I, you know, I'm thinking it'll probably be another four weeks, but I, I it's really important to, to get it right. Yeah. To get it right. And, um, you know, we're in a pandemic right now. So people are looking for good quality because yeah. they are, they, pe I think people are actually reading more uh, during this period. I know I am. I'm reading a lot. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, one of the things when I welcomed this pandemic is I said I would catch up all the books that I hadn't finished. Yeah. You know, strangely, this is funny you say that because every once in a while I do something really nutty, like go out and buy like a whole big bag of books. And I yeah. did it in, and I did it in February. Like I bought like 20 or 25 books at once. I just, I walked into the store and they had everything that I wanted. <laughs> I come home with a book with about 20 pounds worth of books <laughs> and I'm just at the end of it now. <laughs> so my, my, reason, my reason for saying that is there's no rush to bring a book to market. I'd rather bring something to market that, um, that I'm very proud of. And as I said, you well, before at peace with Jim, Jim's book arrived, arrived this morning and my wife said she went and collected the post and she goes, I don't believe there's another book in the post for you. <laughs> so, well, you, you know what, Collie? Uh, anytime any, anybody gets a review from you, um, they're blessed. I'm going to have to look at that. So, Patrick, thanks very much for, for talking to me. Um, it is great to see you uh, face to face. One of the great things about this pandemic pandemic in fact he brought people closer together i believe you know with the, oh, for sure. the whole zoom for sure um and and just on the phone like i'm picking up the phone an awful lot these days and um you know i i just want to reach out and and you know assure people that we're going to get through this but we'll get through it together yeah we're all in this together Polly. yeah and so it's uh it's looking for so Patrick I want to thank you for that and thank you for taking the time coming on on board